0: Well, thank you. And Jason, it's always uh, good, wherever you are, it's always good to have you back home. Elena, thank you for coming. Uh, a few years ago, we, uh, I was in Russia and spoke in several of the churches there and uh, found wonderful, godly people. I was blessed there. Dr. Stain and some others from our church have been there last week. I don't know if they're back uh, yet or not, but uh, we have some members who were just in Russia, and so we're grateful for the believers that are there. Well, periodically, businesses withdraw for a retreat or a seminar to assess what they are doing. Are we doing what we should be doing? Are we doing it as effectively as we should be doing it? So during a few weeks, we are looking at the book of Acts, sort of a seminar, as we look at the New Testament church to ask ourselves, are we being the church that the Lord established? How are we doing as the church? When Jesus established the church, he commissioned it in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. He said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. Unfortunately, the church did not immediately respond to the assignment that had been given to them. Instead, they became comfortable there in Jerusalem and did not take the gospel into the world. That did not happen until Acts chapter 8, verse number 1. When persecution occurred, and as a result of the persecution, then they were driven into the world with the gospel. It is my fear that the church today has become somewhat like that church in that we are not taking seriously the mandate of taking the gospel into the world. And as a result of not doing that, we and the values we cherish have become minority values the values that many of us grew up with are not necessarily the majority values in today's world in america so today i want us to look at the church faithful take your bible starting with me to acts chapter three beginning in verse number one now peter and john were going up to the temple at the ninth hour the hour of prayer And a certain man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. And Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze upon him and said, Look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. And with a leap he stood upright and began to walk and he entered the temple with them walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. The Lord has called us to be faithful. And in our text, we see demonstrated the faithfulness of Peter and John. In verse 1, it says, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. Now, there were three times during the day when the Jews were called to prayer at 9 o'clock, at 12 noon, and at 3 in the afternoon. The session referred to here is the afternoon session, the 3 o'clock session. So it's 3 o'clock, the time of prayer, and the Bible says Peter and John are going to the temple to pray with other believers. Now, the thing that strikes me as I read that passage of Scripture is that these are the disciples. These are the people we study about. These are those who wrote the Gospels. These are people we look up to, and the thing that strikes me, and yet they felt it important to assemble together. They felt it was important to assemble with believers for a time of prayer. And we're talking about the disciples. I am sometimes amazed when I talk with Christians and they say to me, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't think it's necessary to go to church to be a Christian. Well, I normally say, well, I don't think it's necessary to live with your wife to be married, but nevertheless, you probably have a better relationship if you do. Some Christians do not understand the importance of assembling together, but I see that with Peter and John. They understood the importance of it. Why is it important? Why is it that we say that it's important? Why is it important that you attend church, that you assemble with other believers? Well, first of all, to be obedient to God. The Bible says in Hebrews 10, verse 25, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So, folks, why is it important that you attend church, that you're faithful in your attendance? To be obedient to God. Because that's what God has told us to do. Another reason is because of personal growth. See, we, we grow as we minister to each other, do we not? I mean, as you exercise the spiritual gift that you have, then you help me mature in my faith. As I exercise the spiritual gift that I have, hopefully you mature in the faith as well. But as we come together, then we can contribute to each other so that all of us grow. One of the things that blesses me as I sit up here each Sunday is to look out and see the college students. Now, I know that many of you are away from home, mom and dad, Hope you're in church, but they don't know where you are. But you are mature enough to understand the importance of church attendance, of assembling with other people. You're to be congratulated for that. And I thank God for you and for those who understand the importance of it. Another reason it's important is because the Bible says that it is a ministry of encouragement. He said encouraging one another. Do you know that when you attend church that you encourage the leadership? For instance, if you go to Bible study, that teacher has been praying for you during the week, praying over that lesson that they are going to teach. They have been preparing. They have spent time for it. When they look out and see you there, then they are encouraged. That's also true with the choir, isn't it? I can always tell if we're going to have a good choir attendance or not before I walk in here. Because if, if Steve comes in skipping down the, the hall, I, I know attendance is pretty good. But if he comes in mumbling down the hall, I know that, well, he's not going to be in a good mood today. So we encourage whenever we attend. Not only that, it's also true with the entire membership. Aren't we excited on Easter Sunday when we come and the church is packed? I mean, it is a ministry of encouragement. So when we are faithful in our attendance, then we encourage others. It also is a testimony of importance. We attend what we believe to be important. When uh, General Sherman was marching through the south, he happened to be in a rural area, came by a a house, a farm, and when he and his troops were coming by, the lady of the house grabbed her broom and she began chasing them. Her son got hold of her arm and said, Mom, you can't do anything, you can't stop them. She said, I know that, but they're going to know whose side I'm on. Well, see, that's what attendance is. It, it is testimonial. It says what you believe to be important. I heard Coach Spurrier recently on television, and he was talking about, uh, about the football season and so forth, and, and he said, now, our fans have learned to stay for the entire game. He said, now, they need to learn to stay for the entire game and sing the alma mater at the end of it. Why? Because that is testimonial. It is saying, we believe this to be important. And ladies and gentlemen, when you attend church, you're saying to all those who observe you, I believe this to be important. You're giving a testimony to your neighbors when they see you leave on Sunday morning. Well, they're going to church. It's a testimony as to what you believe to be important. So they were faithful in worship and in being so, they were then positioned for ministry. The Bible says in Titus three fourteen. And let our people also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs that they may not be unfruitful. The disciples were being faithful in their attendance and as a result, they were in a position to be faithful in ministry. Folks, when you are faithful doing the things the Bible says to do, you have positioned yourself to be fruitful because God can use you when you're doing what he tells you to do. Call to faithfulness. Now, faithfulness then creates expectation. Hudson Taylor wrote, attempt great things for God, expect great things from God. Now, this lame man at the temple had expectations in verse number 2 certain man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. Now, as I look at this man, he had no commitment himself. He didn't serve. He didn't give. In verse number 5, he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. So I want you to notice this man... He didn't serve though he expected service. He didn't give though he expected them to give. He had these expectations of the people who went to temple. You're aware that the world has high expectations of the church, are you not? Sometimes I think the world's expectations might be higher than ours. But they have expectations. For instance, they expect a believer to be honest in business. When someone is going through the yellow pages and you see that little fish there, that is a symbol signifying that this person is supposed to be a Christian. Now then, why put that in there? Well, if you are a Christian, it is expected that you are going to be honest in your business relationships. Now, it might be a catfish. I think catfishing means that it's not what they... I saw that on MTV or something. You, But they expect us to be honest in business. They expect us to be pure in lifestyle. Now, when Lady Gaga or Madonna or Miley Cyrus do something stupid in their performances, we say, oh, you know, they're, they're nuts anyway. But we expect Christians, we expect Christians to be different, correct? The world expects us to be different. They expect us to be different in our lifestyle. And they also expect us to be generous in ministry, even if they are not. I read an article some time back. I wish I'd kept it because I don't remember where I read it. I don't remember who wrote it. But it's a great article. The article was about how liberals always tell us That we are supposed to be generous, we are supposed to meet people's needs, the unfortunate, etc. But they don't give anything, not personally. They give very little. You know who is the most generous people in society? Conservative Christians. They give more than anyone else. Well, in the article, they were interviewing this person who was a liberal and they said you know it seems to be inconsistent that you're saying that the government is supposed to do all of these things but you don't give anything and I thought he gave a very honest answer his reply was we are socialists not Christians you see the world expects us to be generous the world expects us to offer in the church free counseling they don't expect that of a counseling service They expect us to give money to those who have needs. They don't expect the bank to do that. So when we are faithful, we create expectancy. When you and I are faithfully involved in being believers, in being followers of Christ, the result of that is that we create an expectancy in those watching us. But expectation then leads to opportunity. Now look at the lame man in verse number 5 again. He began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Now his expectations were wrong. What he was expecting was not right. Uh, He thought that he needed alms. No, he needed to walk. He misunderstood their ministry. He, he thought that they had a ministry of distributing alms. No, they had a ministry of healing. But the world usually misdiagnoses its own needs. For instance, we would agree that we have a problem with drug abuse in our society. Well, how does the world deal with that? They well, say what we need to do is to give them clean needles so they don't become infected. I mean, that's the solution to it. They have a drug problem. Well, then let's make sure that we give them clean needles. There are some states who have even said, well, what we need to do is to make the drug more available, and so they have legalized the use of drugs. They misdiagnosed the solution. Well, we have a, a problem with poverty. What does the world say is the answer to poverty? You create another social program. The government is to create some other social program to 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 meet the needs there so we the, the government says so we here's what we'll do, redistribute wealth we will take from those who have to give to those who do not have we have a problem with crime and so what is the solution as far as the world is concerned well let's put more policemen on the streets let's build some more prisons to incarcerate the criminal so The point that I'm making is that the world oftentimes misdiagnoses its own needs, but that provides us with an opportunity to provide real solutions. For instance, drug abuse. It's not clean needles that they need. It's a new heart. I had a friend who was in, when he was younger, was involved with drugs in California And uh, he became a believer, put his faith in Christ, his life was changed, so he was witnessing. Boy, he took it seriously. He was witnessing, especially in the drug culture. He was witnessing to a man who was involved in drugs and Eddie was talking to him about the Lord. And and the guy said, well, you know, he said, I I like to smoke pot. And Eddie said, "Uh, I do that every time I want to. He said, really? He said, yeah. He said, well, I, I, I like to get out and get drunk sometimes. And he says, I do that every time I want to. And he said, I thought you were a Christian. He said, I am. I thought you just told me that you smoked pot every time you wanted to and got drunk every time. He said, I do. He said, it's just that God changed my water. See, that's what, that's what happens when we come to know Christ. The real answer is Jesus Christ. Well, what about crime? Jesus replaces a life of crime with a life of righteousness. I look over and see Ron Smart over here. He went from prison to preaching the gospel. I mean, Jesus changed his life, dramatically changed his life. And that's what the Lord does. Poverty, the answer is not the redistribution of wealth. It's helping other people earn it. But... Oftentimes, it seems to me usually that the world misdiagnoses the solution to the problems that it has, but it provides us with an opportunity to offer real solutions. Expectation leads to opportunity, and then opportunity brings about miracles. When we act in faithfulness, we create expectation. That leads to opportunity, and when we take advantage of the opportunity, that brings about miracles through Changed lives. Now I want you to look at this man, what happened to him? His life before he came uh, came to Christ in verse number two. A certain man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. So here he was, a beggar dependent upon the generosity of others. Now the reason, of course, that he was taken to the temple is that they were the most generous people. And so he was taken at the temple, sat down there so he could beg alms. That was his life before he came to know the Lord. Now look at him afterwards in verse number 8. And with a leap he stood upright and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them. He had been sitting outside, walking and leaping and praising God. The word walking that is used there means to tread all around. I mean, he's, walk, he's been lame from, the, from his birth. And now then he has been healed and the Bible says that he is treading all around. He's walking all around. You remember when the astronauts used to go into outer space and they'd come back and uh, they run steady on their feet. It took them a while to, you know, get their legs back. Not this man. He hadn't walked since he was born. And here he is treading everywhere. He's just walking everywhere. And the Bible says leaping. I mean, he's having a time. Vance Havner said, Some dear souls think themselves dignified when really they are petrified. We have lost our leap. As I look at this man, I think, well, at least for a little while, he is charismatic. Man, he was having a time. He's walking around everywhere, he's jumping up and down, jumping around pews. He's doing all of this. And then the Bible says, and praising God, he's praising God. Irma Bombeck, I, 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 I find a lot of her columns, or I used to find a lot of her columns, amusing. She wrote a column about going to church. And she said she was in church one Sunday. And there was a little girl sitting in front of her with her mother and said the little girl would turn around to the people behind her and grin at them well her mother caught her doing that and so after a while she turned to her little girl and she said you stop that grinning you're in church and she reached over and swatted her and the little girl turned around she sat down her lips sticking out she was sitting there and her mother said now that's better so she concluded Some people come to church looking like their deceased rich aunt left everything to her pet hamster. (laughs) Well, that's the way we come sometimes. I mean, you know, scared to death to have a good time in the house of God. I mean, after we don't want to wake the Lord up, do we? We sure don't want to wake the deacons up. But when I look at this man, he came to know the Lord, and I see that he is walking, he's treading around, he is leaping, he's jumping up and down, and he is praising the Lord. Sir Walter Moberly wrote, if one-tenth of what you believe is true, you ought to be ten times as excited as you are. His life was changed when he met the Lord, but that's the miracle that God provides. He changes lives. Look at the Apostle Paul. Before he came to know Jesus Christ, he persecuted the church. He came to know Jesus Christ, he became a preacher of the gospel. When you come to know Jesus, ladies and gentlemen, your life is changed. Now you can be a Baptist and not be changed much. But you can't be a Christian and not be changed. The Bible says if a man is in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. Old things are passed away, all things become new. Now here's the thing that's interesting to me. The Lord changes lives. But those people who knew us before remember us as we were before. Happened to this man, verse number 10, and they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. Now, here is this man. He's come to know the Lord. The Bible says he's walking everywhere. He is leaping. He's praising the Lord. And they turn around and say... Isn't that that beggar that used to sit outside the temple? They remembered him as he was. Did you know they did the same thing with Jesus? Jesus was going about healing people. He was teaching these profound truths. And in Acts chapter nine, verse 29, uh, twenty-one, it says, "Is this not he?" No. In Luke four twenty-two, and all were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips, and they were saying, "Is this not Joseph's son?" I mean, Jesus is teaching, he's performing miracles, and the people say, where did he learn all of that? Isn't this a carpenter's boy? Where did all that come from? Same thing happened to Paul, I just almost read that. Paul was saved, but the disciples remembered the way he used to be in Acts 9, 21. Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them down before the chief priests? Folks, there are some people who remember you as you were before you got saved. And therefore, they are not very kind sometimes because they remember the way you used to be. That's what happened to this man. But there are others who were amazed by it. Verse number 10, he continues on, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. You know, I read that, and here's a man whose life has been changed by the Lord. There were some who remembered, that was the beggar that used to sit out here. That's what they remembered. That's what he used to do. But there were others who were amazed at what they saw. I want to live an amazing life. Don't you? Don't don't you want people, because of Jesus changing your life, that people are amazed at what God has done in your life? The Bible says that there were some who were amazed at it. You know what? There were others who got saved as a a result over in chapter 4, verse number 4. It says, but many of those who had heard the message believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. I think when our lives have been changed by the Lord Jesus. And we begin to be a reflection of him. That people are amazed and then they want to know the one who changed your life there were about 5,000 men they said well, let me conclude there are many around us who need to be touched by the Lord who need to be changed by the Lord there are people in your neighborhood people that you work with people in your classes and they need the Lord they really do our call as the people of God is to touch them in his name how do we do that? Well, first of all, we have to be faithful to his call. We have to be faithful to the things that God has instructed us to do. have to be faithful. Secondly, when you are faithful, that will create an expectation. When you say that you know Jesus Christ, that is going to create an expectation in the minds of those who watch you. That will lead you to an opportunity to share Jesus with them. And that will result in miracles being performed as people come to know Christ. You probably are familiar, or at least have heard, about the Great Welch Revival a revival that swept the area, changed the land, dramatically changed things. One of the preachers in that revival was Reverend David Morgan. There was an old minister who was attending a service where Reverend Morgan was preaching. They rode home together after the service was over and he wrote this in his book. So near was the revivalist to his God that his face shone like that of an angel. On the way home, I dared not break the silence for miles. Towards midnight, I ventured to say, Didn't we have blessed meetings, Mr. Morgan? Yes, he replied. And then after a pause, he added, The Lord would give us great things if only he could trust us. What do you mean, I asked. If he could trust us not to steal the glory for ourselves. Then the midnight air rang with the sound of his cry at the top of his voice. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory. That's what the church is to be. It isn't about us. It isn't about me. And it isn't about you. It is about Jesus. Unto thy name give glory. That church will make a miraculous impact in its community. Lord, I pray that you'll make us that church. Father, a church that is dedicated to the glory of the Lord Jesus. Lord, help us to live amazing lives. And I pray for those outside today who have never come to know Jesus that they might. In his name I pray, amen just a moment we're going to stand extend an invitation the choir will sing if you're here without jesus let me encourage you today that you receive him he'll change your life he will change your life if you're looking for a church home our doors are open to you we'd love to have you as part of this family stand with me please as they sing you come i'll greet you you